Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. This is the word of God. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all that, all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. There ends a reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we once again thank you, as we always do, for your word. You have spoken to us, and you've given us your holy written word so that we might believe, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we do. And as we examine this passage together tonight through the preaching of your word, we, help, we ask that you would help us to see more clearly just who this Savior Jesus is. So we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would send your spirit in a special way to minister to us, giving us ears to hear and blessing the message as it's preached. And we come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it was Sunday afternoon, and on this Sunday afternoon, we're going to meet two disciples, two disciples who have broken hearts. The state of the disciples in general was a sad one. It had been a three horrible days of existence 
for them as they saw Jesus arrested and then brutalized and then crucified and then buried. Three horrible days, three days of trauma, three days of mourning. This rapid set of events in the Passion of Christ climaxed with a crucifixion and then sort of an anticlimactical burial of him in the grave. But now they heard that Sunday a.m., these two disciples heard that Sunday a.m. things had stirred up. As we saw this morning that women went to the tomb and found it empty, that John and Peter went to the tomb and found it empty, and that word was starting to spread that Jesus at least wasn't in the empty tomb. Does it mean that Jesus is alive? Now it's Sunday afternoon, these two distraught disciples are making their way from Jerusalem on about a seven-mile trip back up to Emmaus, where they're probably from, and they're leaving the Passover that had been so disturbed by these terrible events of the crucifixion of Christ. As they're walking along, a mysterious traveler seems to come out of nowhere, and he's walking alongside of them. They don't recognize who he is. We know the story, so we know who he is. But they don't recognize him. This man out of nowhere imposes himself on their conversation and starts asking them questions, probing questions. He's in on their conversation. What is it you're talking about? And they welcome the interaction with him, but, but they're perplexed. Where have you been? Are you the only visitor that doesn't know what just happened these past days in Jerusalem? Where have you been? Sort of a question that we kind of want to ask about Jesus after the resurrection. Where has he been? But they want to know, where have you been these last three days? And, and they begin to tell him his own story. They begin to tell him his own tragic story and how they had great expectations about who this Jesus was. He was a great prophet. He was mighty in word. He was mighty in deed. They had actually thought and hoped that he was going to be the redeemer of Israel, the one who would finally liberate Israel from all of their burdens, from all of their trials, liberate them from Rome that was their current oppressor. But the sad story goes, as they tell him, when they expected something spectacular, it ended up in the death of Jesus Christ and the burial. And yet they also tell him that there's something very strange going on because now we're hearing that there's this empty tomb as we already discovered about these two. They knew about this rumor. Little did they know that they were about to have an eye-opening, heart-opening encounter. Jesus begins to give them on their long walk, it was probably two hours, maybe three-hour walk that they were on, Jesus begins to give them a masterful Bible lesson. And it's fascinating when you read what he says. He says, didn't you know that the Christ, first of all, almost, almost separating himself, detaching it, speaking about Christ as if he was another person. Didn't you know that the Christ had to suffer and then be glorified? Implying that that's something that every, every Jew should know in anticipation of this Christ, this Messiah. Well, he begins to tell them the whole story. He begins to tell them the whole story. Sort of like, you want to go back three days, you might want to go back three years, but you really have to go back much further. You really have to go back 
to the beginning. And he begins to explain to them not only what the prophets foretold, but what all of Scripture foretold about the Christ. And think about how you could unpack that yourself. If you have knowledge of the Old Testament, think about, think about the themes that you could follow. Think about the types and the signs and the sacrifices and the different people in the Old Testament that all foresignified Christ to come. Now we know that Christ has come, so we can look back and see things more clearly in the Old Testament. But Jesus is going to explain to them all these things. I want to review some of these things, not as the master. I, I thought about telling the story as if I was in the voice of Jesus, but I really would be terribly uncomfortable with that. You probably would too. But Jesus was telling all this in the first person. This was about me. You look at this and you see me. You look at that and you see me. You look at that and you see me foretold. But I want to review for us sort of as a student, as a student talking and discussing, reviewing the things that they would have learned from Jesus. I want to look at major stops that just scratch the surface. Jesus took hours just on the walk and then sat down with them and taught them more. I'm just asking you to humor me with 15 or 20 minutes to cover the whole history of the Old Covenant to see how it points to Jesus. And we'll move rather quickly. I just want to make two literal stops in Scripture. The rest I'll just kind of highlight, but think about it. Go back to the beginning. Go back to what's called the Proto-Evangelium, the promise, the very first promise that there would be a Savior back in Genesis chapter 3. After the fall, when, when God promises Adam and Eve that there would be one who would come from the seed of Eve who would crush the serpent's head. The very first promise of life. And right in that context, the very first sacrifice. As we see that Adam and Eve are covered with animal skin. And we should say to ourselves, now we see. Now we see that that promised one was Jesus. Now we see that that seed of Eve was Jesus. Now we see that the sacrifice that would cover our shame and our unrighteousness was Jesus Christ who would offer himself as a sacrifice. Do you remember, let's remember Abraham and Isaac. Probably one of the most vivid pictures of what's coming in Christ in the whole Old Testament when Abraham is told to take his son, his only son, listen to the language, who you love, and take him up and sacrifice him. And yet somehow Abraham knew that Isaac would somehow or other survive that if the actual sacrifice took place. But then what does God do? He provides the ram. You know the story, I hope. But here we go. Jesus. Jesus is that, that Isaac that wasn't spared. Jesus was that ram that God provided. Think of Joseph's life. Think of the storyline. Rejected by his own. Left for dead. But alive, after all. Joseph's famous words to his murderous brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Think about Jesus. Think about the evil leveled against him. But it was ultimately the hand of God providing salvation for us so that we might live. Remember the Passover? 
Do you remember how, if we were his disciples, if we were Jewish disciples, we'd say, do you remember the Passover that we celebrate every year? Do you remember all those parts of the Passover that year after year we would celebrate? Remember the lamb in that first Passover, the lambs, the many that were sacrificed? Remember how the blood had to be put over the doorposts so that anyone in the houses where there was blood over the doorposts were spared of death? Do you remember how the angel of the Lord led us out of Egypt and through the sea and into the land, into the wilderness? Now we see, now we see Jesus is the lamb who is slain. Now we see that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Now we see that Jesus is the angel of the Lord. Now we're beginning to see. Do you remember the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, sin atoned for, forgiveness unto life? The bull that was slaughtered, the goat that was slaughtered as a sin offering, the scapegoat upon which the sins of the people were put on and led out into the wilderness. Now we see. Now we see that it wasn't the blood of bulls that could save. It wasn't the goats that could save and take away our sins. We see that that all pointed us to Jesus. The sacrifice and the burnt offerings and the shed blood was all all about Jesus. We finally see. Remember how that went. Remember how our people were wandering in the wilderness, complaining against God, as we always do. And those vicious serpents were sent, stinging the people. that They were about to die, and some of them probably did die. But remember... Remember how Moses lifted up that bronze serpent in the wilderness and that whoever looked at the serpent would be spared from death. Well, now we know that's what Jesus was talking about when he was speaking to Nicodemus. When he said, just like that serpent was lifted up, so he would be lifted up. And then there's David, that king who was always under oppression, sinful as he was, that that, that king of Israel, that king who represented the Christ, that king who himself knew that he wasn't the heir of eternal kingdom, that king who saw the Lord at the right hand of God. Psalm 2, that son against whom the nations conspired, the son who's given the nation as an inheritance, both the same son, And that's the Jesus that the nations conspired against and crucified, and he's the one who's heir of all things. Now I do want you to turn to Psalm 22, one of the two passages I want to highlight. We'll read the whole psalm. It would be worthwhile reading. This is one of the most vivid messianic psalms of the suffering of the Christ. We'll pick up in verse 16, but I want you to see how in this, as Jesus quotes this many times on the cross, or quotes this, I should say, on the cross, so many vivid reflections on what's coming upon the Christ that there's also life in this. Remember, as Jesus 
said, reflecting back on this psalm, that was about him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in the beginning of the psalm? Now pick up in verse 16. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. As for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him, praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. The ends of the, the, ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And he goes on. But here he's talking about testifying in the presence of the congregation. In the beginning, he's dying. And then by the end, he's testifying. And we have the psalmist, David, in his prophetic utterance, speaking of the Christ who was to come. The next passage I want us to look at is Isaiah 53. And again, a critical passage in understanding the suffering of the Christ. Remember, Jesus said that the Christ must suffer and then be glorified. Psalm, I mean, sorry, Isaiah 53 is probably very familiar. We read it just about every Good Friday. Pick up in verse 7. And again, so much vivid, prophetic prophetic focus by Isaiah on the person of Christ. And if it weren't for the fact that it's prophetic, we would think it was uncanny. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation... Who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Let's stop before we even get to what I just read there in that last section all those things about his suffering, his death. He's going to be crushed. It's at the hands of wicked men, but at the same time, it's the will of the Father, the will of the Lord. We look at the cross and we see this fulfilled. The Christ must suffer. But then 
We need to read further because very often we just stop at the suffering Messiah. But listen to this. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So you look at the cross right here in Isaiah 53, and you say, how will he have any offspring? He died on the cross. An unmarried man, no children, no offspring, nobody. No lineage to follow him. He's dead. And yet the very next thing we read is that he does have, he does have offspring. His days are prolonged. Who are his offspring? It's all the people that he saved by giving himself as a sacrifice and rising up from the dead. You're right here. You are right here in Isaiah 53. The last thing I'll mention, and it's the one that Jesus mentions himself, the whole story of Jonah, at least the part of his going into the belly of a fish for three days, just like Jonah. So the sign will be this, the Son of Man will be buried for three days and then rise from the dead. And so you see that throughout the whole Old Testament, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But cleverly, Jesus is saying to them, the Christ, the Christ. Try to put it together. The Christ. If you can't see the Christ in the Old Testament, I was trying to think of what that is like. It's, it's sort of like trying to do a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle without a picture of what you're trying to make. Or it might be like trying to do a connect-the-dots that doesn't have any numbers to follow. Or it might be like reading a biography and never figuring out who it was about, not even knowing who the biography is about, just reading all this, this random stuff that doesn't really point to anyone. But, but we know, and they knew now, as they got an education, that it was all about the Christ. But they still don't connect it to Jesus. It's not until they show him unsurprising hospitality. Certainly it was the way of the day. It was getting dark. Night was starting to come. They had a stranger with them, and so they were going to show him hospitality, bring him into the house. But, but I think there's more than that. They, they had their interest sparked by Jesus. He's gotten their attention. But it's when they finally sit down to have a meal with him that Jesus takes the bread, and he breaks it, and he gives it to them, and their eyes are opened. And their hearts are opened and they recognize that they've seen this before. It's none other than Jesus. None other than Jesus. And then, then he vanishes from their presence. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in that room? Walked with Jesus to hear from his own mouth 
how everything, Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, all spoke of him. And then to sit down with him face to face and have him break bread with you and then recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what happened for them. They, they took what they had witnessed. They took this extraordinary Bible lesson from Jesus. And they began to recognize that even when we walked along with this strange man, our hearts burned. Now we realize it was Jesus after all. And he is, after all, the Christ, the one that we had waited for all this time. And so you might say they go from broken to burning hearts. Read in Mark, after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into, as they were walking, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Now I want you to come back to our passage. What happens next? They go back to the disciples. This is Luke 24, 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem." You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus reveals himself to the disciples. But we might want to say with the disciples, wait a minute. But is he going to redeem Israel? Remember, they were waiting for something spectacular to happen, and it didn't happen. They thought that Jesus was going to redeem Israel. Is is he really going to redeem Israel? Is the Christ going to redeem Israel? The answer is yes. But it's far more spectacular than they had ever imagined. It's far bigger than just overthrowing Rome or any other nation that might oppress Israel. It's far bigger than even Israel itself. The answer to their question is found in Acts. And if you'll flip over to Acts, just for a few verses here. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. Here's the answer to the question. Is he going to redeem Israel? 
So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. You see, the kingdom will advance and Israel will be redeemed as will all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile alike. True Israel is the church of Jesus Christ. Those who are brought in, Jew and Gentile alike, Paul puts it this way, it looks like this, down to this day, Jesus is still redeeming through the preaching of the gospel of Christ. Here's what Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And here we are, all those years later, recipients of that very gospel that is about Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here we are. Here we are. We're a part of that redemption. We're evidence of the redeeming grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are evidence, as we just read, of God's power to save through the gospel. And so we might think it might be great to walk on the road with those two with Jesus or sit down at a table with Jesus, but we have Jesus. We have Jesus, just like they did. Maybe not face-to-face in person, but through the Holy Spirit dwelling right here with us. He's with us in fellowship and communion. We have something so great, so wonderful, part of the kingdom of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, And all those other things we learned at, it has been finished. Jesus accomplished it. And we can praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your mercy and your saving grace. And Lord, we want to learn more and more about the way you work. Lord, we thank you for the richness of the records of the Old Covenant that give us a fuller depth of understanding of your ways and of the Christ himself, of our Lord Jesus. But how thankful we are that we live in the days of fulfillment, that while we don't see Jesus, we love him. Though we don't see Jesus, we know that you are here with us by your indwelling Holy Spirit. We're so thankful for your redemption, That was only possible as we learned from the very mouth of Jesus through the suffering of the Christ who is now ascended into glory. We rejoice at the end of this Lord's Day, of this very special Lord's Day, and we do so in the name of the one who was dead but who now 